0: They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading him, "Cross over to Macedonia and help us." After he had seen the vision, he immediately we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea, and sailed straight for Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her whole household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this incredible journey that you are setting, the, setting us out on as we read through the book of Acts, Lord Jesus, with this passage. God, we pray that you'd reveal to us the glory in it. Lord, that we would see not just a history lesson, not just see a they, they went here and they went there and we went there and we went there, but Lord, that we would see your hand in all of it. That we can see your hand in moving Paul and Silas and Timothy to this city and how we can see that same hand, your hand, in our lives as we move about and as we wander and as we live through this life and as we walk with you and as we walk with one another, that we can see your hand and your spirit in all things. Lord, show us this morning your hand through your word. Lord, just speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Engage with us this morning and help us to grow in knowledge, but also, Lord, to grow in love for you and for one another. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> dreams, dreams are a powerful thing. So let, let me back up. If you're, if you haven't been with us for a while, or haven't, or this is your new, your first time with us this morning, welcome, first of all. Uh, we're, cl- we're glad to have you guys here this morning. And uh, I know it's a little bit different format here with, uh, with our tables and everything. Uh, also, if you want, there are some note sheets in the back. I did have them this week. I forgot. I didn't get them done last week, but I have them this week. Um, so um, so we have note sheets there. And, so, and then we also, of course, have coffee and snacks over there. Uh, but so we are traveling through the book of Acts, but not really the book of Acts. What we're doing is we are looking at the story of the early church. And it's based upon this, this notion that these are the, the years, this is the most formative years in the life of the church during this time, where it went from a handful of believers in Jerusalem to a worldwide faith movement. That is still, I mean, we're, we're walking in it today. We're in a church building with the church gathered here. We are, we are the church. The building is the building and we are the church. And so this is a movement of God that has been going for, oh, for almost 2,000 years. And we have joined into a legacy of faith that has been going for over at least 4,000, if not 4,500 years. Almost maybe even up to 5,000, but even before that, mm-hmm. to the very beginning of the world. When God created the world and had a relationship with Adam and Eve, our, four, our, our ancestors, all the way back to the beginning. We can see our part in the story of God. And that's what we were wanting to see, is this, what is the story of God? And so we, were, we studied the story of Jesus for two years with the book of Luke, and now we're on to a second volume written by the same guy, Luke, and this is the story of the early church. This is the story of the early church. So we're going to be covering even more than the book of Acts covers, all the way from the time that we, like we studied, the time of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, all the way through probably about the, the end of the first century, about 100 AD. Uh, so that's where we're in the middle of, and so we're using Acts as kind of our outline for this. Um, and so you, you, so we want to take a look at this passage here. That's why we even study the weird passages, or the, the ones that seem kind of seem boring, and seem kind of mundane and weird. Um, but when we look for it, we can see the glory. We can see the goodness, and we can see the hand of God at work. And we can also see that, like I said, like I prayed, this, that we can see the same hand of God at work in our lives. And how does God do this? So let's, let's talk about God dreams. The, the title of this morning is that God desires for us to come alive to God dreams, which we'll get to the bigger point here in a second. But dreams are a powerful thing. Who, who remembers their dreams? Yeah. You guys remember? Wow, you guys are amazing. I don't remember my dreams worth a darn. <laughs> You know it's been fun to like you know my, my son will come up to me and he'll like talk about this like vision or this dream that he's had and i'll write it down because i mean sometimes like god speaking through the dreams especially the, the ones that my son wants to share with me so i want to make sure that you know i write them down because god might have something pretty amazing and prophetic to speak because dreams are a powerful tool that god uses to speak through can be a powerful tool sometimes it's just the weird meatloaf that you ate the night before you know <laughs> or you're eating too late, and it's keeping you up, right? <laughs> so dreams, however, the, the, you know the dreams. The, there are certain dreams that when they happen, they change the way that we view the world. They change that morning. Like last night, this morning, I, you know, this morning, it was like one of those, like, I think it was, it was before, it was the dream that woke me up and got me stirring. Whether or not it was because I got too hot, I don't know. But it was a super disturbing dream. It was a horrible dream. Horrible dream. So much so, I had to hug my wife this morning. I was like, "Hi, you're still here. You know? <laughs> you're alive." You know? But it's a horrible dream. You know, it, but it continued when I woke up. During that, you know, the time you're snoozing, right? You're snoozing, but it, I kept thinking about it. And I was like, "Stop thinking about it." Like to the point where I was like trying to rebuke it. I was like, "In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. Shut up." <laughs> But it continued through, like, my shower and making coffee and, and even through, like, finishing up my sermon and stuff this morning. It, it's like those dreams stick with you, right? We know those dreams. We might even still be able to remember those dreams from when we were a, chi- when we were a child. You know, there, and there are other dreams that are good dreams. The dreams that you're like, that's one that I want to hold on to and that's the one I want to write down. That's the one that I want to really sear into my, my ethos, Right? They can be in the evening, in the waking hours, in the vision, or in a, like in a trance. You know, like, for instance, like when I was up at Temple Hills, about, back after the women's retreat, we came, we came I went back to Temple Hills because I had to pack up the sound system that I brought up there uh, for it because um, I was helping out doing stuff for it. And I brought a tarp, and um, thankfully, because <laughs> I knew it was supposed to rain a little bit on the way there and back, but I got a couple speakers loaded and all of a sudden it just started dumping rain. And I was like, okay, I'm going to cover it up and run inside and thunderstorm, you know, rain, just torrential downpour. And God was like, hey, let's spend some time together. I was like, hey, okay. And so I just, I was like, all right, God, what do you want to do? Like, let's talk about vision for men's for retreat, for man camp. I was like, okay. So I sat there and for like 30, 40 minutes, it was just torrential downpouring. I couldn't do anything. The Lord is just like downpouring on the, yes, on the roof, but also into my spirit. into my mind, all the, this just a great vision. God I was just downloading this amazing vision in my, into my spirit. And I was, not, you know, typing it out on my phone in my notes and stuff. And it went on that, on that way for like several hours. <laughs> I would load up a couple of things and all of a sudden, you know, torrential downpour of rain and then torrential downpour of the spirit and vision. It was amazing. So sometimes our, our dreams and visions are you know, when we're asleep or in those waking hours or when we're awake, right? Dreams have a, a way of shifting our trajectory and shifting our thinking about our lives. God can use our dreams in a powerful way, even if they're horrendous, like last night. God can use them and speak to us and give us interpretation. I mean, look, in, I mean, I look all, all through the in the Old Testament, like with Pharaoh and... And, you know, and, and uh, was it, uh, what's the first guy Cyrus in, you know, in, in the, the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, interpreted the dreams because they were really disturbing. God has powerful ways of shifting our thinking. And God gave Paul a dream that would shift their trajectory and change lives forever. Not just theirs, but those around them because of what God is doing in his life. Because here's the thing. God dreams are for everyone. God gives us all. If we are in, in Christ, he is in us through his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We have come, you know, we have followed, followed through with believers baptism. We have been immersed and baptized into the church, and he has baptized us with his Holy Spirit. He is giving us God dreams. In fact, even, you don't even have, you necessarily even have to be a believer yet. Like, there's been these stories coming out of Gaza right now that over 200 Gazans, Muslim, you know, Islamic Gazans, have been getting visions of Jesus Christ and becoming Christians overnight. The gospel is going crazy in Gaza right now. So are the bombs. But, Jesus bombs too. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going crazy because of visions of Jesus Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and joining with their Palestinian brothers and sisters. And we also, you know, like I said, you, you can take whatever side you want in this conflict, but what's going, what the, the reality is is that both sides need Jesus. Israel needs Jesus. They don't got him. Palestine needs Jesus. They don't got him. Both sides need Jesus. And so who do we pray for? All of them to, to receive Jesus. To pray for this, this, this vision casting, this, this vision getting of Jesus by the Muslims, by the Islamics, you know, by the, by the Muslims, and just pray for that. Pray into that. Pray into the Israeli, you know, Israelis seeing visions of Jesus and realizing that the Messiah has come. Give them visions. Their God dreams are for everyone. It's not just for even like the, the spiritual elite, like the apostles, the evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers. As it says in Ephesians 4. It's Not just for like the senior leaders of the church. The ultra spiritual. It's for everyone. So here, here's God's heart for us this morning. Is that he desires for us to come alive to God dreams and experience his presence and glory to extremes. And yes, I did a little rhyming Google search this morning to figure out what rhymed with with dreams. So (laughs) come alive to God dreams and experience his presence and glory to extremes. God dreams are for everyone, not simply the spiritual elite. God dreams, like I said, are are dreams and, and visions or trances, experiences that God gives you. You're not just human origin or imagination or fantasy. Because those can sometimes be, lead you away from, from the Lord. So we have to learn how to discern between a God dream and an imagination, our, 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 our human origin and fantasies. He's, he, he's giving you these things. Why? What is the purpose of all these things? is for, he gives you these things for revelation and for healing. Maybe God is giving you dreams that are maybe even disturbing to try to bring healing to your life. Working through a bad situation, this is part of that, you know, where God takes, uses all things, he, he turns all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Maybe he uses these bad visions to bring a good result, to bring a glory, healing, direction, encouragement maybe rebuke and correction to our lives. But there's always, these things always are to invite you into his presence because he wants to reveal his glory to you. Why? Because he wants you to experience his grace and truth. Why? So that we can bring glory to him. Glory to God. All glory to be, be to God. Because this is the same reason that Jesus became a man. The reason why he draw, desires to draw us close to him in, in, the, in spirit is the same reason why he first became man. He desires to bring us to, you know, from mankind to be spirit. He went from spirit to mankind for the same reason. Why? The word became, this is John chapter 1, John 1, 1 14. I should have put it on the screen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the spirit becoming flesh. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father. What? Full of grace and truth. He desires that same encounter. He he became a man so that we would encounter his grace and truth. He made us spirit. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that we would be able to continue to experience his grace and truth. So that we would come alive. So he said, the Son of Man didn't come to steal, kill, and destroy like the enemy. He came so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. Have it overflowing. That's God's, God's desire. This is what it means to live from the glory, from God's presence, rather than simply trying to live for it or live, just simply try to live for the completing of 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 laws and rules and regulations and restrictions as a lot of people see Christianity as this like system of morals to live by it's not a system of morals to live by it's a person to be like it's a it's about him coming near and giving you his holy spirit empowering us for life and godliness when we live from a place of yahweh's presence it it becomes less about the striving, less about the suffering, focusing our lives on slaving away, and more about faith, hope, love, joy. When we live out of a place of glory versus trying to attain good works as though we're trying to earn glory, If we see our faith as as a set of works, then we're not seeing it rightly. We look at our faith as an encounter with the living God. And out of that place come our works, come the good that we do, come the joy in which we do it by. It's like the story of the two people where like, you know, the, the, the 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 father asked one son to go do something, and he does it. I'm sorry, he says he will, but then he never does. Versus the other son that he says, go do it, he said, I'm not going to do it. But then he goes and does it. Which one is the one that is faithful? The one that went and did it, right? Not just the one that tries to live by a work, but doesn't actually do the works, but the one who does the works out of a heart of joy, out of the heart that knows that he is a beloved son, that's what I said. it's coming alive not not giving ourselves over to dead works just trying to do them for the sake of trying to earn or attain to a higher level but doing the things of our lives because we have attained to the higher level of faith because christ is in us without christ our works are dead without His holy spirit our works are <laughs> filthy rags exactly all the righteousness that we could ever try to attain to or try to do out of our own strength. The word is actually used, menstrual, cloth, menstrual cloths. They've toned it down for the Bible a little bit. But through Christ, in Christ, as a new creation, with God's Holy Spirit, then what we do is coming out of a heart. It is coming alive to what God's desires are. God's kingdom comes. God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I mean by that. This is what it means to live from the glory. So even if we are working hard, we're striving, we're, we're suffering, we're facing difficulties, we can endure it. We can endure it. Not by the grit of our teeth and just suffering for Jesus. Jesus but because Christ is in us. And so even the the suffering that we go through is done through and with and by and out of joy. Like I always love to say, the most joyful person in all of creation was Jesus Christ when he was dying on the cross. Was he happy? No. Joyful? Yes. Why? Because he knew that what he was doing would accomplish forgiveness of sins for all who would come to faith in him wash them clean of their sin forgive their all of their sin and for, and cleanse them from all unrighteousness he was joy filled because he was dying for his family for the glory of god and the joy of his people so we can suffer we can live our lives by the grace of jesus that fills our hearts, and then pours out through our words and our works. Works are a pouring out of us. When we live from the glory, when we live from the presence of God, when that is the core of who we are, when His Holy Spirit is the one guiding our direction, guiding our every step, the world in front of us changes. Do you believe that God wants to change the world? Does God want to change your world, just the people, even just simply the people around you? Yeah. Does God want to change you? Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) And so that's the thing. When we live from the glory, the world in front of us, the world around us changes. So (coughs) the journey continues. So when we get to verse six, uh, so let's go through our passage here today we expect to read something like, you know, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers, like it says, and then they returned to Antioch with much rejoicing and glorified God. And they spend much time with the brothers and sisters there in Antioch. But that's not what we read. That's not what we have here. The adventure, the journey, continues. But it's interesting though, because if you look back at the passage before, back at the very end of chapter 15, this journey continuing was not the original intention or purpose of their convoy when they set out from Antioch. They, they had the desire to go and visit the churches of Galatia that they had just finished planting and go and encourage them and go and strengthen them. And they did just that. They went to the, went to the churches, you know, after Paul and Barnabas divided and Paul and Silas went up to up through Tarsus and went up through that area and went to Derbe and then Lystra and picked up Timothy. They could have been like, awesome, very cool, bless you guys. Timothy, we, we bless you and maybe you can come back to, to us and study under us in Antioch. But they didn't stop there. But it didn't tell us why. Because I mean, Paul fulfills the purpose of the, of the calling for which they were commissioned in the first paragraph of Acts chapter 16. But God had other plans God had other plans when we face what seems like and, and this is the point of our of our of what we, what we see here when we look at the difficulties in front of us the hindrances and obstacles or setbacks often it is the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us when we feel like a place where we need to maybe you know, feel like we need to return back to comfort because that's where they lived their hometown was Antioch versus God is saying no no let's keep going this, let's keep going this is going to be fun. Or at least fun to me. <laughs> but I think what we can see in our passage here this morning is that every, at every point, at every stage, there was a, a difficulty. Think about it. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. But the, but the Holy Spirit is often leading us forward to or through the place that he wants to use us the place that he wants to use us or to bless us or to, to glorify himself through our ministry, through our works, through what we do. Paul was not allowed to preach the gospel in Asia, but it seems the journey most likely took them through Asia, not around it. So if you look at your map, that's actually kind of a, an Alan custom. Um, I, t- I took some, a picture that I had because a, a lot of the maps, especially I think the ones, if there's maps in there, It'll actually show like Paul's different missionary journeys. And they have him going up north oftentimes. Oh wait. This one doesn't. Yay. Oh wait, no, just kidding. No, yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. there we go. Nope, it was different. Never mind. So a lot of them a lot of them have them going north up to Bithynia and then across the north the northern border there. But it doesn't really make sense if you look at the context. It doesn't make sense to go around through the mountains where there aren't really any cities and pass by Bithynia, get to Mysia, only to turn around and try to go back. It doesn't, have, it doesn't even say that. It says they got into Mysia um, and they were debating on whether to go right or left. And the Holy Spirit kept directing them as they lived from the presence in His direction. And so if you look at your map there, I believe that they went through Asia. But they weren't, a, weren't allowed to preach the gospel in Asia. Because it wouldn't make sense to go north where there weren't, weren't any towns. Weren't any cities. Because here's the thing. Asia was not their assignment on this, on this missionary journey. On this gospel journey. It was, he- this, you know, this Asia itself was heavily Roman. Let me look all around there. You've got Ephesus and all those different places. But it seems as though they were being called during this journey, this gospel journey, to the predominantly Greek cities. we will see like it takes them across the Aegean and then down through Greece. So it seems like these are Greek cities that they're being called to, though several of these are Roman colonies. There were Greek cities originally that the Romans came in and took over and established Roman culture, but it was still heavily Greek culture. So their, their gods still had the Greek names, not the Roman names in a lot of places like this. But they would have had a Roman governance in place, a, a, a Roman ecclesia in place, which is the word we get for church. Um, so even though they were, they would later, because here's the thing, they, would, they were passing through Asia where they would later plant the church of Ephesus and all these different churches in the nearby countryside. They're going around, And then Paul will eventually spend two years in Ephesus preaching the gospel and teaching and training the future church leaders, apostles, and overseers of the church, of the churches across the region. That's going to happen in a few years. But right now, it's not their assignment. They're in the right place, just not yet. Sometimes we can feel like that. We're like, right there. That was even a prophetic word that was given to me. It's like, God has this calling on your life, but he's got a great, great calling. It's not clear what it is, but God does have a calling, but don't push, you know, don't, don't push on the door or else you'll ruin it. Just let the Lord open the door when he's ready to open that door. And so that's what's happening here, is that they are there, they're at the door, and God's saying, "No, nope, not yet. I've got some work to do. Because here's the thing, Paul will later leave Timothy, who's traveling with them, from Lystra, They're, he's now joined the, the entourage, the, you know, the attache, going around on their missionary journey with Paul and Silas. And this Timothy will become a very key leader in the church in Ephesus and the church there throughout the surrounding countryside. And because of his ministry, the churches in that entire region will thrive. But he's got some growing up to do, he's got some training. He's got some maturing. He has some growth that God wants for him first. So they're not allowed to go into Asia. They're not allowed to preach the gospel in Asia. And the, here's, here's the city that John, the, the Apostle John, will later join this church in Ephesus under or with, you're probably partnering with Timothy, but honoring him as the overseer of the church. He will later join this church in Ephesus along with Mary, Jesus' mother, who Jesus has given care of his mother over to John, so she travels with him anywhere he goes. And so they will move to Ephesus. And tradition actually has it that she actually dies in Ephesus after John, or before John, because she's older, was older. But so the church, so John is there, and John would later write his gospel from this city while being a part of this church, and he will later write the book of Revelation to the churches. Yeah. <clears throat> Good. Is that um, this, this? We have a new a new guy that joins the attaché. I like uh, I just like the word attaché. It sounds really official and fun. But so, but an attaché is basically just kind of a representat- representatives from you know, are the, the representatives from a governing place of government, right? So the verbiage in here in chapter, chapter 10 switches, if you notice. It shifts from they, they did this, and Paul did that, and they did this, to we. We went here, we went there. it After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, called us to preach the gospel to them. Not just anyone joined them. Luke the author of the book of Luke and the author of the very book that we are reading joined the group, joins and begins to recount the record from personal memory. This is a personal eyewitness. He is saying, I was there. I was there, which we'll get to next week, is I was there when the Philippian jailer was, you know, was about to kill him, or not, not about to kill himself, but I was there when, his, when he baptized his family. I was there when his family joined the church. I was there. And this is important because, especially if, if, if this work was, you know, the, the book of Luke and Acts, if this work was used as a legal defense in front of the Roman authorities during Paul's house arrest in Rome at the end of his third gospel, minute, gospel ministry, This would be an important aspect to put in there, would be a personal eyewitness. Yes, this is a story of all the things that he did, but here is when I joined them. Here's when I got to see it myself, which is giving authority to the author himself, being a a personal eyewitness to this account. Because here's the thing. we said, Jesus had big plans for, for Asia. Jesus had big plans for Luke. Big plans. This Gentile writer, It wasn't just for Paul and Silas and Timothy, nor just the people who would hear their message. This was a transforming, life-changing moment for Luke when he left Troas and sailed with them to Philippi across the Aegean Sea. This will be important uh, for our reference for when Paul, Silas, and Timothy leave Philippi, the we changes back to they. So we know that Luke stayed back in Philippi to help plant and establish the church there. And he lived there for about eight years until Paul would come back, come back through on his on his uh, third, missionary, third missionary journey as he was returning to Jerusalem. Because this in Jerusalem, that's where Paul, I'm sorry, where, where Luke will write his great two-volume work of Luke and Acts. This is when he will go to Jerusalem and get all the first-hand witness accounts from Mary and the guy who was born blind and the, and the blind man and the lame man and, the, and Mary Magdalene and the disciples. Like, he would get eyewitness accounts from the centurion. He would get eyewitness accounts when he went to Jerusalem with Paul. This is a book of eyewitness statements. So is the book of Acts. He is someone who's, It's not his story he is recounting the story of other people's eyewitness testimonies. And so we get to the place where a church is planted in Galatia. So this is, you know, this is in that that region, so you'll see on your map there where Galatia is. It's across the Aegean Sea, just kind of right up there beyond the Neapolis. But Jews and Gentile God-fearers without enough Jewish men to form a formal synagogue, would build small church, small buildings near rivers in which to pray. Because they couldn't build a full synagogue if they didn't have 12 biological and circumcised males in a town. So this town didn't have a synagogue because they didn't have enough full-blooded Jews who were circumcised to create a synagogue. So they would often create this little, like probably like, use like a stone building for prayer, like a little prayer chapel and they would, because they had to do it by the river, because that's where they would do their little, their washings, their ceremonial washings as a part of their prayer, as a part of their prayers. So when Paul found out that they didn't have a synagogue in Philippi, he knew two things. He knew a few things. One, that there would be such a building near the river. Two, that if he found such a building down by the river, there would be an open door for the gospel to enter into that town. And three, that the church in Philippi would be Uh, would be building essentially from scratch because there weren't even enough Jewish people to establish a synagogue. But here's the thing, as we can see, they end up in Philippi next to the river. They don't have enough Jewish people even for a synagogue, so he can't do his, his MO of going to the synagogue first and then going to the Gentiles. He goes directly to this place and he meets this group of women. And they name one which well, that's pretty important for the Bible, for especially any kind of writings back then, he names Lydia a hinge piece. You know, she is a, a, a linchpin in the whole operation of God's, of his church. She is so important that she is named in the scriptures. as a huge testimony to her identity and her character and her purpose. And so we see that the Holy Spirit leads Paul and Silas and Timothy and now Luke, all the way from Galatia through Asia to Troas, they pick, up, they pick up Luke across the Aegean Sea to Philippi, specifically to this group of women in Lydia. That's like thousands of miles. That's, like, that's huge. This is divine guidance rather than human strategy that is directing their journey. Divine guidance. The Holy Spirit still leads this way today. Amen? In fact, there's, so I have a friend who, uh, he's, he's a kind of a local missionary guy. He's in Louisiana now because he's, he's gotten tired of the winters, but, (laughs) but he actually felt the whole, the calling of the Holy Spirit to go to a music festival in, like, Kansas or something like that. So, like, he drove, like, a thousand miles or more to go to this place because God said, I want you there because I want you to speak to this specific person. I want you to find this, this woman that I want to preach to. I want you to talk to. He's like, okay, Lord, I'm going. So he went, and he was like, all right, Lord, where am I going? How am I, do, how am I doing this? And he went, and he was at the music festival. He's like, all right, Holy Spirit, where, where, where do you want me to go? And the Holy Spirit was leading him and guiding him at every step. And then he turned around, and he met a woman, and he knew in his spirit right away, that's the one. And he went and he spoke to her. He spoke the words that the Holy Spirit was putting on his, on his heart. And she just collapsed into a puddle of tears. Gave her life, to faith, her life to Jesus Christ right there. And he was able to comfort her and to encourage her. There were happy tears because it was like, God sees me. So he sent someone from Montana to Kansas to let her know that God sees her. God still works this way today. Amen. God will give us these same things, dreams. And so these, these things, these visions are, are, you know, dreams are when we are asleep, visions when we're awake. And then trances are basically dreams that take over our reality, or visions that take over our, our perspective of reality. You know, like, like uh, Peter was in, the, was in a trance on the rooftop when he was in, 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 uh, on the, the, the seaport. He was in a trance. It, the, the vision took over his his lenses, his eyeballs, he was like, he was seeing in the spirit this vision of, of Cornelius, of, of of was the drape of, you know, the animals, for the purpose of sending him. Again, this was communication God sending him on a mission gave him a trance to send him. So this, so trances are takes over your reality. Why is the purpose? Like I said, the Holy Spirit's direction, encouragement, missional Uh, it's, it's a missional purpose, it's a call, communication, revelation. This is all, he does all these things, dreams, visions, and trances, and things like it, to accomplish the will of Jesus, and ultimately the Father. As Jesus submitted, and showed us how to submit, to the Father through the Holy Spirit, we follow the Holy Spirit's direction to accomplish the will of the Father, just like Jesus. That was one of the key purposes why Jesus would lead his disciples to watch him pray, hear him pray, especially Peter, James and John, so that we would know and and believe that we needed to communicate with the Father the same way, and how to do that ourselves. And so that's why we live from the glory, live from The presence of God. Because when we live from the place of Yahweh's presence, what we do and how we live becomes, like I said, less about striving, suffering, and slaving away, and more about living in and living by faith, hope, love, through and with joy. We live from our identity in Christ. So even if we're working hard, suffering, and facing difficulties, we are able to endure it. Not by the grit of our teeth, but by the grace of Jesus that fills our hearts, and he pours himself out through our words and actions. This helps us to press on, to push forward. That's why James says this, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature. Remember that's maturing, growing up, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Well, we're all going to face trials whether by other people's doing or our own, <laughs> we're all going to face trials. So when we face trials, we can have great joy. Not a little joy. Not like a, okay, here's just enough joy to get through. We can have great joy. We can have a smile on our face, even though our entire world is collapsing. Why? Because God's still on the throne. Jesus is still good. His Holy Spirit still within us. And our life isn't based on our circumstances. We can actually bring the joy to the, to the crap. We can bring God's presence and God's flourishing, God's shalom to even our persecutors and and the aggressors against us in the gospel. It's not just something to endure and simply, oh, I'm just going to get through it. By the grace of God, I'm gonna get through it. No, and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to press into it so that I can see God's life manifested into it. Made glorious. So if we need direction, if we need wisdom, instruction, encouragement, ask the Holy Spirit. If we need strength to withstand the temptation, ask the Holy Spirit ask Jesus and he will give it lavishly. If you need building up, if you're like in the, in the, in the throes of anxiety and depression, loneliness, throw yourself upon the Holy Spirit and say, God, I need you. So I love that song. God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every My one request, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Because here's the thing. Remember this. Remember this. God desires for us, for you, for us as his church, for his people, for the Big C Church to come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive! Come alive to God's dreams. Come alive to God's kingdom. Come alive to God's glory. Come alive to God's glory and experience His presence and glory to extremes. To the greatest, to the fullest, to the abundance. To the glory of glory. Amen? And that's the gospel. That is the, that is the gospel in which we believe. If you're not a believer here this morning, if you haven't placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and submitted to him as your Lord and Savior, this is the invitation to that. This is the invitation to say, yes, God, I believe that you created the world. The very first, the very first words of the Bible is, in the beginning, God created the world. That our God, the God that we worship, Yahweh Himself created the world and all things in it. Mankind rebelled and fell from grace, and the, the story of, of of creation has been mankind trying to get back in relationship with God, but they can't. So God became a man in Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, became a perfect sacrifice to so that you we so that we would place our faith. Pledge our whole lives and trust on him, believing that he died for our sins and that he rose again physically from the dead so that we would be with him for all eternity and that he would give us his Holy Spirit to walk through this life. Forgiveness of sins, free gift of salvation, and the free gift of the Holy Spirit. That is our call, to be faithful, to make him your God. And so I, I want to invite you this morning. If you have not made that that profession of faith, I'll be I'll be up here um, to to you know to pray with you or to to talk with you to, to to encourage you, and also to talk more about what it means to become a Christian, to become a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you if, you, if that's you this morning, I would encourage you to to come during during this time and and meet with me up here. But we are going to take communion around the table, and as and how we do that is we. We, uh, we pass the bread and the, and, the, and the grape juice around the table and we serve one another and we say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you break it and you dip it in the grape juice and you, and you say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And so in, in this way, we commune with God as we commune with one another. Because God wants to be present. God is present at the table. When his people gather, he is there among, among them. So let's pray as we, as we wrap up our, our time together here this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Lord Jesus, we, we come before you this morning submitting our lives to you. Submitting our hearts and our spirit to say, Lord, make us alive. Stir within us your, your goodness. Stir within us your Holy Spirit. And God, we pray for your presence during this time. Your presence in our lives as we go home. That you would draw us close to you every single morning to snuggle up near. Open up your word. Spending time in prayer in the presence of you, Father. Draw us close so that it changes the way in which we see this world And what we change is what we do and what we say. And God, that we may be lights in the darkness. That we may go out as the true hope of this world because we have the words of Jesus Christ on our lips. Lord, live through us as we go. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.